Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Mercy House. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, raising these kids are running through the church, which is awesome because they're pumped up about going downstairs for class. So uh, if you're K through sixth grade, you're welcome to go down and, and join the class. The rest of us, we get to study Samson. Oh, Samson. Um, We've been in the book of Judges, which is maybe one of the most depressing books in the Bible, and we've just seen this downward spiral throughout the book, getting darker and darker and darker, both in the people of God, but also the actual judges themselves. And so Samson's the last judge, which means he's the worst of the worst. And so we see him, um, you know, attempting to marry a Philistine woman, which is against the Mosaic law. We see him disobeying and dishonoring his parents, which is against the Ten Commandments in the Mosaic Law. We see him breaking two of three stipulations in his Nazarite vow by drinking alcohol and touching a dead thing. Uh, we see him committing the sin of covetousness where he is making a wager at his bachelor party to try to get 30 free pairs of clothing that don't belong to him really. And that backfires and then he responds by murdering 30 people, also breaking a commandment in that and stealing their clothes to pay off his wager, also uh, one of the Ten Commandments. And now we're adding, you know, animal cruelty and destruction of property. I mean, on and on it goes, this, this downward spiral in Samson's life, and we continue it here in Judges 15. The backstory of Judges 15 is that Samson uh, was going to marry this Philistine woman that he wasn't supposed to marry, and the thing blows up uh, because of this wager that he makes, and he leaves furious, and then he cools off. He decides to go back to his Philistine uh, bride-to-be and make up with her, and he does that by bringing a young goat. So I guess that's like the red roses of the ancient world. I'm not sure. Maybe that was for her dad. I don't know. Brings the young goat in, and dad says, oops, sorry, thought you hated her, gave her over to the best man, but here's her sister, right, which, which is horrible in and of itself, um, but he's just trying to save his skin. He's just trying to save his skin. He's just trying to keep Samson from uh, boiling over and starting to kill people because he knows what this guy can do. And so his response, Samson's response, Judges 15, hopefully you've opened Bibles by now, Judges 15, verse 3, Samson says to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned them tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of the tails. Real interesting. This is, this is, there's just so many illustrations of what it looks like when you do right in your own eyes. He's like, this time, I'm innocent. What I'm about to do, this is innocent. Now, he, he, he's admitting, maybe that whole kill 30 people for 30 pieces of clothing, maybe that was over the top. But tying these, these foxes together with torches and burning the entire wheat crop for a whole people group, I'm innocent in this. Right in his own eyes. Now, we all do this, okay? So as sinful human beings, we have this default where we come up with systems in, in, in our own minds that justify our behavior and condemn the behaviors of others. And this is, this is always shifting and sliding and changing if we're not in God's Word. Like things that were wrong two weeks ago are now right for us to do because, well, 
I'm tired. I've had, I've had a hard week. And so we see this in Samson's life. We see this in the Israelites. We see this in the Philistines. Everybody's shifting. What's right? What's right last week? Not right this week. Right. Now, the Philistine response to this is, again, more doing right in their own eyes. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 6, Philistine said, Who's done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Incredibly brutal society. I mean, this, looks, this makes ISIS beheadings look gentle. You're burning people to death. And these are their own people. These are their own, their own Philistine people. Why are they doing this? Not completely clear, but, but I, I think as I look at this text, I think what they're doing is they're trying to get Samson to calm down. They're like, look, we took him out. Like, like you don't have to be getting revenge anymore. We've taken care of it. They did this bad thing to you. We did this bad thing to them. Just calm down. Right? Again, just self-preservation, which is always what's at the root of doing what's right in your own eyes. You're preserving yourself or your family or your people. Whoever you've decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect this group of people, no matter what. Right? That's, that's what becomes right in your own eyes. But Samson's crazy. And so he responds to their effort to try to appease him with revenge. So 15.7, Samson says to, him, to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. You, again, you can see it. He, he has this little system in his mind. He's, he's like, okay, this time this thing I'm about to do, I'm going to finish this up, and then I will stop. I'm not going to escalate this anymore. <laughs> but as long as you give me the last word, right? And so we don't know how many people he kills, but it's ugly, right? I mean, he says, they, they struck them hip and thigh. I think we would probably say limb from limb. And so he's, he's killing people, and, and then he walks away from that, and he just goes to be alone. The last time he was really mad, he went home. But this time, he just completely isolates himself. And so he's hiding off in a cave somewhere, pouting, depressed, discouraged, not knowing what to do. And what he's done to the Philistines at this point is serious enough for a full-scale military mobilization. So they rally the troops, and they, they get some intelligence, and they figure out where he is, and they, they get close to where he is. And they take one of, one of the cities. Uh, verse 9, the Philistines came up and camped in Judah. They made a raid on Lehi. Okay, so they take over Lehi, set up kind of a, 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 a beachhead there. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. All right. So it seems like there's going to be an Israel versus Philistine military uh, throwdown, which is seemingly what God wants, right? We talked about this earlier where Israel's not willing to engage the Philistines to get them out of their land. And so God's stirring up Samson to stir up the situation between the Philistines and the Israelites 
such that it will force a, a, a conflict. And that conflict will result in the Philistines getting pushed out of the promised land. We hear of this plan to some degree back in Judges 14.4 when Samson decides he wants to marry a Philistine woman. And his mom and dad are mad about it. Verse 4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. And he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So it seems like that's what God is thinking. Like he's, he's going to create this conflict and this conflict is going to result in Israel going to war against the Philistines. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. Judges 15, 11, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, well, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and they brought him up from the rock. Now, it's an incredibly sad moment. Israel has a deliverer who could actually lead them into combat against the Philistines to, del to, to deliver them from oppression. But they're not interested in that. They're not interested in that, not, not in the least. They, they either don't believe that Samson could actually lead them to that, or they don't want to pay the price to go along with him into combat. Like, oh, I don't want to get hurt or killed. Like, I just want to keep things status quo. Like, let's play it safe. And the safest plan is to just give Samson to the Philistines and let them kill him. Because that's, that's what they're doing. They're delivering Samson up to his death. And this is, this is just the worst of all outcomes. Is just maintaining status quo of being oppressed by the Philistines. I mean, a better outcome would be Samson being a leader. He's got 3,000 troops right there. He could say, come on, let's go. Let's have a little brave heart moment here, right? Give him the speech, rally the troops, and then let's go get them. But he doesn't, he doesn't care about anything but himself. When they ask him, why'd you do this? He's like, well, they did that to me. Because they did it to me, then I did it to them. Like, that's all he can think of. He cannot think of his nation. He can't think of his God. He can't think of anything larger than him. It's just about him. And then the 3,000 troops could say to Samson, Samson, be our leader, which they have done before. Gideon's son, Ahimelech, was a Samson-type person. He's crazy. And they had exiled him. And then they go out to him and ask him to come back and be their leader and to fight. So they've done it before, but not this time. They are so stuck in, in just this mire of discouragement and sin, rebellion, apathy. I'd say there's a lot of things going on in their hearts at this moment. They've been under the oppression of the Philistines for 40 years. It has become the new normal. And they have completely lost the, their will to, to engage in the battle. Have you been there? If you've walked with Jesus any amount of time, of course you've been there. Of course you've been there. Perhaps it's in regard to the battles that you fight within. 
areas of sin that you've given into many times. You've, you've attempted at times and seasons to battle those areas of sin, but it was hard or you didn't seem to have victory. And so you, you've done that enough times to say, you know what, I just give up. And then it could be financial irresponsibility. It could be porn addiction. It could be ongoing negativity. It could be just feeling depressed. It could be gossip. It could be laziness. What Areas of your, of your life, battles that you fought, you're like, you know what, I just give up. I just give up. Or perhaps areas of, of growth or lack of growth, where there's been times when, when you engaged and you like, I want to grow in this area, maybe in your marriage, those of you that are married. Maybe you've been willing to lean into conversations in your marriage, but no more. You no longer fight that battle. You just walked away from it. Not, not going there anymore. Or maybe friendships. At a, there was a time when you fought for friendship. But you know what? You just gave up. You know what? It's too hard. And you backed off. Or prayer life. Or study of Scripture. Or financial giving. of Being generous. You've tried it. It was hard. You pull back. Right? These battlefields within our own souls. And then you begin to surround yourself with other people that have a similar view of mediocrity regarding those areas. You don't want to hang out with people that are like charging ahead in those areas. You feel too guilty. So you stay away from those people. And then for Israel, you got 3,000 guys all just standing there in their mediocrity, unwilling to engage in the battle with the Philistines. And I'm here to tell you, there's one who can deliver you from that place. There is one who can deliver you from that place of discouragement, of rebellion, apathy, weariness. It's usually all kind of one big ball, right? There is one who can deliver you from that place. Or perhaps it's the battlefield without. Right? There's the battlefield within, there's the battlefield without. Perhaps those that are in your family or a neighborhood or friends or coworkers who do not yet know Jesus. And there was a time when you prayed for them. It's a time that you engaged them to serve them in Christ's name or speak to them of, of the gospel, seek spiritual conversations. But perhaps now you've given up. Like it doesn't work. I mean, I assume you struggle with that because I struggle with that. 20 years of trying to engage a town with the gospel and seeing very little fruit in terms of the community. You know, I was walking through the grocery store the other day and I see somebody that I've engaged with in the past. And, I, and I, my first inclination was, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to head down, get whatever it is I'm getting. And the, the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, no. Do not give up. Engage. And I remember this guy's name. It was just like from out of nowhere, like, boom, this guy's name right here on the front of my mind. So I engaged him. I don't always do that. But it was that, that, that battle, right? Do I give up or do I keep going? Do I keep moving ahead in the fight? There may be places uh, in, in ministry, in the church, you've given up. Or you've not tried. 
You're going to be encouraged. Many of you have you've gone through Discipleship Essentials, the first part, in your small groups. It won't be long. Tommy Moore will be saying, hey, would you like to lead others through these, these uh, sections in Discipleship Essentials that you've gone through? And for some of you, that's going to be a big stretch. You can be scared of that. Or you can say, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't. But perhaps you do. Perhaps God's calling you to engage in discipling others in a way you've never had before. To take the fight to a new battlefield. I think this is even part of, um, I know this is part of us going on sabbatical, right? We'll be going off mid-January to mid-June and spending time uh, at Southeastern Seminary for five months. And this will be an opportunity for us to kind of heal, to restore, to recuperate, so we can get back into the battle and engage in fresh ways that we've perhaps not engaged in because we're just tired or rebellious or sinful or whatever. We're all in this same place, are we not, at times, where we give up. We're like the Israelites, standing there with a deliverer who can deliver us. And I'm here to tell you, there's a deliverer. He can deliver you from those places, places where you fought and fought and fought and fought and, and have given up. He can deliver you. But that day, Israelites don't believe that. And so they turn their deliverer over to be killed by the Philistines. So Judges, four, uh, Judges chapter 15, verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Now think about this. I'm fairly certain Samson's a big, big dude, right? And here he comes, and they're bringing him in, and they're, they're delivering him over to, to these troops, these Philistine troops. And it turns into one big pep rally. And they're hooping and hollering and screaming and celebrating. We got him. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he put out, uh, put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck 1,000 men. Now think about that. You're one of the 3,000 Israelites. And you're seeing Samson walk into that crowd of Philistines, and you're kind of breathing a sigh of relief. Like, whew, we averted that conflict, right? We're back to status quo. We're back to the Philistines being rulers over us. And they see him walk in there, and then they see him come out of those ropes and they go, oh my goodness, what's he going to do now? And pick up a jawbone of an ass. Now, where, where do you get a jawbone of a donkey? I'm not sure. <clears throat> but that's what he picks up. And they see him pick that up. And I'm sure they're thinking, look at that guy. He's nuts. What is he thinking? And then they see him kill somebody with it. And then he kills a second person with it. And the Philistines just kind of heat up then. Then they're going to come at him. They're like, oh, no, we're going to knock this guy out. And, and Israel is watching going, okay, this is, maybe he'll kill 10, but come on. I mean, how much can he really do? And then he kills 20 and then 50 and then 100 and then 300 and then 500. And before long, the Philistines are retreating. They're running away from one guy. And 
Israel sees themselves delivered by one guy. They did absolutely nothing except deliver him up to his death. Does this sound familiar? If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. We have been delivered by one guy. One guy. And we really offered nothing up to him (laughs) except our sin. The very thing that placed him on the cross, which, by the way, is what he used to defeat sin, death, and hell. It's even more ridiculous in some respect than a jawbone of a donkey. A Roman torture device that he takes up and he single-handedly goes against the fiercest of all enemies. And those enemies never had a chance. And Jesus completely takes them out and he does it and then hands us the victory by his grace. One of my favorite chapters of Scripture in in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of the victory that Jesus gives us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Incredibly powerful chapter. I noticed something at the end of the chapter that really struck me as I was working on this sermon and, and you know, I was looking for some good victory verses for the end of the sermon and uh, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 15, 56. It says, uh, the sting of death is sin, right? So the effects of death, or effects of sin is death. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, That's just a big summation of the chapter where Paul's like, you are victorious, Christian, not because of anything you did, but because of what Christ did for you. He won the victory for you. You were standing there waiting, look, watching Jesus go against these these oppressive things that you could have never defeated. And he did it for you and hands you the victory. But then Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't you find that interesting? As he celebrates the victory that's been given to the Christian by grace, he then says, therefore, don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop engaging, both in the battles within and the battles without. Remain Steadfast. Steadfast is an old English word, um, obviously not, not in, in, the, in the Greco-Roman world, but it's, it's a cool word. I like this word. It's, it, it comes from steed fast. It's, it's from someone who is on a horse who's fighting, and they are able to stay on their horse and remain engaged in the battle. They are steed fast. Right? They are steadfast. And this is what we are called to be. We are called to be steed fast, to remain in the battle, both within and without. Not because we have to win the ultimate battle. The ultimate battle has been won on our behalf by grace. But because of that victory, we can then engage in the battles within our own souls and in the world that we live in. So perhaps you, you've come in here discouraged, right? Battles that you've just given up on. Don't give up. Jesus has delivered you. 
And he is delivering you in those battles. We're reminded of that every time we come to the table. Reminded of the night on which Jesus is betrayed, he's denied. The night before, he's going to be killed on that Roman torture device. He takes bread, he breaks it, gives it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. He's letting them know, I'm going to lay my life down to deliver you. I'm going to battle on your behalf. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. He's letting them know, I'm going to battle. And he's not going to battle against the Roman Empire. He's going to battle against sin. And he's going to win single-handedly, he's going to pick up a Roman cross and he's going to destroy death and hell and sin. And this victory is given to you and me by grace and it's received by faith. So you may be here this morning, you're not a Christian and you're hearing this good news of a victory over sin and over death. If you've never received that by faith, I want to encourage you to do that now, to ask God in prayer to forgive your sins and to give you that victory that He's won for you on the cross. For the rest of us that are Christ followers, it's a reminder of that victory. We need that reminder. It's partly why we come here every week. I know you've been in a battle, both within and without. And so just it's necessary for us to gather weekly and to to hear the victory yet again that that Christ has, has won, that Christ will win. And that that victory is not just a cosmic event. That victory is also given to you personally. And now you can live by faith in that victory. So as we take the bread, as we take the cup, let's be reminded of our champion, our hero, our deliverer, who single-handedly beat these oppressors and handed us a victory. Let's pray. Lord, you know we do get discouraged. We forget the good news. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to hear it preached on a regular basis, God. And so would you lift the hearts of those in this room that may may have grown discouraged in both the battling within their own souls, but also in relationships and and friendships and ministry Uh, opportunities, things that you have called them to, Lord, that may seem right now like uh, it's stuck. And so, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the victory that you've already won on our behalf. And we pray for grace that we'd be able to live in that victory on a consistent basis for your glory and also for the good of many around us who need that victory themselves. Please bless this bread, bless the cup, and our time together as family around this dinner table. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.